this is Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. And we're here with Women Worth Knowing. And yes. do we have someone worth knowing in studio today? Uh, yes, we do, Cheryl. In fact, we had her on last time as well. You might remember we began the story of Chris Rep, our friend who's here with us today. And she left us a, a little bit of a cliffhanger here. We got a little bit more to come today. Oh, we've got so <laughs> much more to come. So, um, Chris, we talked last session about how you came to discover Jesus, how mm-hmm. um, you got your kind of launched into uh, missionary work. And I especially love the part where you had that dream when you were little before you even knew Jesus, that you'd be ministering in Africa to the French speaking. And we talked about how at first uh, you were in... um, Guatemala. Yes, before that. Roatan. Roatan, yes, Roatan, and then Guatemala. And really, that's not the dream, is it? That wasn't. wasn't the dream. Yeah, there's no French there. There's I don't no think. French there's no French there. speakers. So, <laughs> so tell, us, yeah, tell us a little bit about how God began to fulfill that dream and some of the adventures in between. We want to hear it all, don't we, Jeff? Yes. Bring well, it on. I will, but I'm going to go back to what you just said as you introduced this program. It's Women Worth Knowing, and I love, yes. the, I love the title. Um, I would say that the reason my life and, and I am worth knowing, and you, this story is such a good story, is because it's a Jesus story. Mm. I love that. Yes, it's absolutely. It's not It's not what a great person I am. I am created in the image of God, but um, what he has done with a life, mm. a yeah. life that has surrendered to him when I found that the things of the world could not meet those needs and filled my heart with his love to overflowing. I talked in the first session about an empty cup, and the process of coming to the point where I was prepared for the foreign mission field was reading the word daily, hours and hours and hours in my brokenness, mm-hmm. reading it, hoping that he would deliver me from my vice and from my problems, knowing that he was able, but not seeing the results, going to church, fellowshipping, getting counsel. I was a broken empty vessel and Christ filled my heart to the fullest, fullest to fullest till it was overflowing and it was so overflowing that I wanted to take this love, I wanted to take my life, I wanted to take all my resources and give them to those in the world that were suffering and that were poor and as we've talked about I feel drawn to the poor, to the disenfranchised, to the people in the world that are in in trauma. And so I just thank you that you feel that I'm a woman worth knowing, but I want to give Jesus the credit. I you love men. that. Oh, my goodness. Jesus worth knowing. Yes, yes. Jesus is super worth knowing. And that's, what he does with lives. Perfectly said. Yes. That, that's just our heart, and, too. And really, we, we've even exactly. said on this program, you're a woman worth knowing if you've given yourself completely to the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he makes us all worth, mm-hmm. you know, worthy yeah. and mm-hmm. worth knowing. Yeah. Just because we have Jesus. But Chris. How has Jesus worked in your life? So here I am in Guatemala. I'm finally getting the Spanish under my belt. I'm (laughs) 40-something years old and thinking, oh, this is not a French-speaking country. I'm eating beans and tortillas and wondering what happened. Did I get it wrong? And all of a sudden, um, I go home because the uh, work in Guatemala started phasing out. And... I had been really trying. I'd been looking into organizations, French-speaking African nations. Nothing had popped up, nothing. And so finally, I go to my dad's house, and he had remarried, and my stepmom got to talk to me one day, and I go, Betty, and I didn't know her very well. I said, Betty, I'm just trying to find this 
contact in French-speaking Africa, but I just don't know where, where to look. She says, oh, maybe you should get a hold of Danielle. And I said, who's Danielle? Okay, so she goes into the story about how at San Jose, about 20 years behind her, she had met Danielle because he was a black African who came with a colleague, and she hosted him and became good friends with him. I said, Betty, is Danielle a Christian? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I said, where does he live? I don't know the name of the country. I've got his information. I think I got his email. You can email him. I said, well, you don't know if he's a Christian. You know, I said, what language do they speak there? She said, I think they speak French. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Shot in the dark here. Yeah. I um, sent Danielle an introductory email and found out that he was a Burkina Bay from Burkina Faso. He's a pastor of a Christian oh, church. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and he is married to Anne, and Anne is a Canadian. Wow. And she is very, very well studied. She went to university in Canada, and she has um, established a language of some people in uh, South e southwestern Burkina Faso. She lived amongst them for 10 years, and that's pertinent to the story. So um, I set up appointment to go visit with them, and the exact date that I was going to go, I started getting this flurry of emails in. Now, mind you, this is my first trip to Africa, French-speaking Africa, <laughs> the dream of my life. All of a sudden... Emails start flying in because what had happened was 2001 and Ground Zero. Mm, and so Calvary was working there, and they said, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, please come. I had already done disaster relief um, in Honduras, and that was something that was really strong in my heart to do. And I was so torn, but I felt clearly that the Lord wanted me to be a soldier in my own country. Mm. And... Um, a minister, a missionary. So I dropped my plans to go to Burkina and got on a plane and went and worked at Ground Zero. Wow. And so after having done that work, I got back in touch with Danielle. Now that was God's timing because it turns out that when I ended up going to Burkina Faso and his wife had um, NPR uh, representative, her nephew I think it was, was doing a story on all of the tribal leaders in all of these villages, and they were going to go and interview them for NPR. And of course, I'm, and I don't know Anne, I don't know Daniel, I've invited myself to come there. <laughs> and here they're going, Anne and her nephew are going on this tour, which is exactly what I would say I would want to do. And so she could tell when I met her when I arrived. You'd really like to go with us, wouldn't you? And I said, how, how did you guess? <laughs> so I ended up be, being invited, and I went with them on that tour. Once again, that would not have happened if I had not delayed my yes. trip. Yes, yeah. And uh, the village where she had lived was where we stayed for a while, and she has a house that's vacated there now. So that that ended up being a house that I started doing ministry from as the years progressed. So I went to Burkina in 2002. That was my first trip. I've done about 10 trips there over the years and would go back annually. And um, they 
up until the uh, it got dangerous. <laughs> um, so I started staying at Ann's house and doing dental clinics there because I do dentistry, as I shared. And I would see these tribal people coming through, uh, and they're the Fulani people. And the Fulani people fascinated me. And the reason was um, they're just a beautiful people. They, wear, they adorn themselves with all this tribal gear, and I'm just fascinated by stuff like that. There weren't a lot of Fulani where I was working at where Ann's house was located because that was in the southwestern part of Burkina. But I did see Fulani. And so having worked there for maybe seven years, I just had this desire to work more with the Fulani. They're nomadic. They're in the 90 percentile range of Muslim. Um, mm. And it's wow. really cool. Um, something that really pulled my heartstrings. Um, so... During the interim there, I was able to raise money to buy a really nice vehicle for them. I just left it there, and they would use it, and then when I'd come, we'd all use it. So we had a vehicle, and one year when I was coming, Anne just wrote me and said, Chris, what do you want your program to be this year? And I said, well, let's see. I would really like to work more with the Fulani people, Anne. And she emails me back, and she goes, well, if you want to work with the Fulani, I think I can get you an appointment with King Deco when you arrive in Ouagadougou, the capital. Wow. Because <laughs> she and Daniel live in the capital city of Ouaga. Hmm. I thought, the king? <laughs> He's the king of the Fulani people who live in the exact opposite end of the country, the northeastern part of the country. Sure enough, I jump off the plane the next day. I'm in King Deco's house interviewing and talking with him about the potential of working amongst his people. King Deco went to university with Anne in Canada. Whoa. He's a highly educated man, leader of the Muslims in northeastern Burkina Faso. As I propose this program, he's all over it. Yes, yes, I want you to do this work. Wait a minute, King Deco, I said. The pastor here and I also have part of our program, a film that we show the people. When I put my dental clinic away, which is a table mm-hmm. <laughs> that's yeah. under an acacia tree <laughs> with all my yeah. instruments. Quote, quote. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I want to clarify what my clinic is. Um, we pull out a sheet and our speakers and our video. And in the shadow of the mosques, we show the Jesus film and we share Jesus with people. Would that be okay with you, King Deco? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. No problem. So he gets on his cell phone and he starts calling all these villages that he is in charge of and gives me carte blanche entrance into this whole area of the Fulani people. So that is the point where I start working annually with them. But because they don't speak French, right? they oh, yeah, speak true. Fula. Here's another potential obstacle, right? Well, it isn't an obstacle, and it's God's program. Mm. I'm staying at this obscure compound in Dori, which is a Fulani village up there, where they basically they live as though they shot the Jesus film in their backyard. They wow. still live hundreds of years back. Mm, they, okay. they travel on donkey carts. They're, everything is mud that their buildings and huts are made of. Very primitive. So I'm at this mission compound. I'm getting ready to do work with the Fulani. And this is at the very beginning of this. 
and I see this man. He's a he's an African man, and he he introduces himself as Pierre, and Pierre was from Niger, and or Niger, mm -hmm. and he had started talking to me. Now, of course, he speaks French, so we're conversing in French, and he's telling me how he was working up there, and he had a real heart for the Fulani people. Wow. Pierre and I worked together for years. Wow. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I just got today, I just got an email from him today. He had a fledgling church because the Fulanis are very difficult people to reach. He started a Fulani church, and when I, the last time I was there, he had just a few people. This was years ago. And um, now this email that I got today was not just the congregation, which is huge now, but it was all these children. And he said, pray for these children so that they can be raised up knowing Jesus too. Wow. How amazing. Amazing. Amazing work. An amazing man. And um, unfortunately, the jihad had gotten mm. a hold of many of the people up there with the Fulani being very strongly involved in it. So it wasn't a matter of my protecting myself necessarily as much as it is that if I go up there, I become a focal point that could jeopardize, jeopardize excuse me, his ministry and his church. Oh, the believers right. there. And yeah. so yeah. I have to be considerate of what he would want and what would be best for them. Um, I don't think at this time it's best. His church is flourishing, and I feel like the Lord just uses me as a liaison um, with these people. So are they kind of an underground church, I guess you would say? Yeah. How do they? They are they open. They meet openly. He has wow. a radio program, an wow. evangelistic radio program in the desert. This is sub-Sahara Desert. Mind you, it's very primitive. I absolutely love it. Here's my perfect life coming through, my perfect lifestyle. So my clinic under acacia tree in a hut. I'm there in the morning. No one's come yet. All of a sudden, I see a man riding up with a turban and a flowing robe on a camel. He jumps off his camel and walks toward me. He has this huge transistor radio around his neck on a rope, and that's how the, the herdsmen wear their radios when they go out and wow. work with their cattle. Wow. He comes, and the story is he has not been able to sleep for nights. He's been out with his cattle because he has a raging toothache. Mm -hmm. And so he comes. He gets on my table. I anesthetize him. I pull his bad tooth. And there's one of their traditional bamboo chairs that's sort of a recliner. He lets, sits down on it and lays back and immediately drops off to sleep. <laughs> so comfortable because mm -hmm. once you get rid of that horrible thing that makes you feel like you have two heads, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you know, it's such a blessing to mm -hmm. be able to do this for these people, but also to let them know how much Jesus loves them. Next day, guess what? Same thing happened, but it wasn't the same man. Rode up on his camel, transistor radio, it's pretty much the same story. Wow. <laughs> and same result. Sits down in the chair after I did it and falls asleep. Over <laughs> I've and had over men again. ride by me on bicycles just smiling as big as ever in the morning as I'm walking to start clinic. You know, I can sleep. I had to hire someone to watch my flocks, you know, because my mouth was hurting so hard. I washed yeah. my cattle and I couldn't even afford to pay them. And now I'm fine. Uh, it's, How rewarding. It's Man. so, so rewarding. Yeah. But Africa is not the only continent that you visit. No. Tell us some of the places God has sent you. Oh, my goodness. 
Um, many, many. Uh, <laughs> Where do I begin? Everywhere. Yeah, yeah everywhere. Um, well, let's see. Well, Sudan is a very special place to me. South Sudan, mm-hmm. where I, I've worked with people that were um, really heroes of the faith, that mm-hmm. were tortured for their faith. Mm-hmm. And um, were still doing ministry and taking me throughout to the same places where they were um, tortured um, because they love the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I would say that my experience in Sudan, I might share a very poignant experience because the infrastructure of South Sudan is so destroyed and the people just have it so hard. Mm. We went to a village where the schools had not been reinstated, the the teachers had not been paid, so the children weren't able to go to school. And it turns out some local teachers were giving their time to teach the children because Mm. they said they want their villagers and the children in the village to be educated. So they were willing to sacrifice their time to teach. And school in Sudan is literally sometimes just a tree. And if they're fortunate, a chalkboard under the tree outside. Mm. But I walked um, over to the church structure with the pastor as he invited me to sit down with him. And the church structure is mud with a mud floor. We're talking about basically nothing. And we're sitting at a small table, and all of a sudden, one of the family members walks into the church and puts two glasses down in front of us. And each glass is filled with honey. Mm. And I was very curious. And so we're talking, and I'm watching. I try to be observant in cultural situations to know what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) He drinks the whole glass of honey. And I asked him, I said, do you always drink a whole glass of honey like that? As though I was just curious Mm -hmm. and it didn't shock me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wondering what I was going (laughs) to (laughs) do. He said to me, if I drink this glass of honey in the morning, I do not have to eat all day. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. And it's a reality check for us. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, oftentimes I feel like these brothers and sisters of mine that I work with overseas, that they see things from the same perspective. But they don't. Mm-hmm. They're my colleagues. They're my coworkers. They're my friends. But when we sit down and talk and they say to me, I want to ask you a question. Is it true that in your country there are machines where you can put a coin in and choose a Coca-Cola and it comes out of the machine? Wow. (laughs) Yes. Yes, we do have that. (laughs) We did have that in the past. Right. (gasps) Man. It is another world. Mm -hmm. It is another world. And to... To step into that world as an American is um, not only a humbling experience, but to me, a tremendous privilege. When I was with Pierre and we were showing the Jesus film for several villages night after night, I kept hearing him speaking to them in sort of broken fula in French. And I could make out that he was saying that this missionary came and she brought all these tools to give you free dental care from the United States and how far it was. And he went over and over and kept repeating the story. And frankly, <laughs> I was embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. So I asked him when we were alone, I said, Pierre, 
You've been telling each the same story in all of these villages. Why? And he said, because for a foreigner, particularly any visitor, but a foreigner, to come to their village is the greatest honor. And I want them to know the love that has brought you here to this village for them. Mm. It's like an incarnation. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Jesus who left the abode of heaven mm. and, the you know, at the right hand of the Father to come live in our poverty and mm. our sin-cursed world mm. to bring us healing and to, to bring us all that. Um, I heard um, mm-hmm. McQuilkin one time speaking, Robert McQuilkin at a retreat, and he said, every missionary is incarnational. Yeah. Mm. And again, that Jesus did it for love, and that's the same love that's compelling you. Sorry to interrupt because I just— No, but that's something we love to draw attention to is that incarnational go—be Jesus to these people. I just— That's so beautiful. That's amazing. It's the same testimony. So you've also been—okay, another country, because I know you've been to several. (laughs) Sudan. Oh, awesome. um, Well, let's see. What you're thinking, I will bring up a story. I was talking to Chris on the phone. Wow, what was it, like three or four years ago? Mm -hmm. And she was telling me of all the places she's been in the world. You know, the Lord has always protected her. And her worst, most violent experience was actually in California. Well. (laughs) Even the Lord, you know, I guess that's eventually saved you. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Do you in California? Yeah, it was. Was it when it was? Uh, because I was in Kazakhstan and had one, but that was, I think, after. Yeah, <laughs> after we that might have trumped it yes. then. The yeah, Kazakhstan you told experience. me about how you were uh, walking down the street and you were approached by this man who beat you up. Was it? That's Kazakhstan. Oh, that was Kazakhstan. Yeah, okay, was Kazakhstan. So was... It was my first trip to Kazakhstan, and um, I was. Um, walking and praying, which is a habit that I have. And it was in a city that was well lit, city area. It was about 4.30 in the morning. Um, So it was still dark, but it was well lit. And yet it was raining. And I was pretty much kind of a sitting duck because I was bright. I was American. And I didn't know the country. Um, And as I was walking, I got so totally into my praying that I didn't realize I was walking out from under this protection of all the light. And I'm all of a sudden, it was like a great wind, and whoosh, and I was on the ground. And um, I didn't see it coming. It was a young, strong, large man, and he proceeded with a hatred in his eyes that was diabolical to just beat me to a pulp. And I oh, wow. screamed. Um, I do speak in tongues, and it just so happens that I was yelling at him, not knowing what I was saying. And nobody was coming to my assistance, although there were people that lived there all around. And each time that he got me down on the ground again, I was weakened more and more and more until the point where I felt like I was going to go to heaven. The thought came to me, I'm going to go to heaven this morning. I had absolutely no fear. I had peace. But I did have another thought. This man does not know Jesus. I screamed at him, Jesus loves you. And then I screamed at him again, and I looked at him. And that hatred and that diabolical look that he had in his eyes turned to a look of fear. Wow. 
Hmm. All of a sudden, he stopped, and he said, money. And I just put my hands up, and then he grabbed my watch, ripped it off my arm, and a man that was coming to join him in the dark, sort of from behind him, came up, and both of them turned around and immediately bolted out of there. Just like that. Wow. Just like that. And I feel and believe that the name of Jesus saved my life, but also the fact that that day and that moment was written in his book mm-hmm. and that he wanted me here in your studio today. <laughs> Clearly. Wow. And I think that's another thing I'd like to share. Rather than just sharing mm-hmm. one of the 80 countries or near, near 80 I've been in, wow. I would just okay. like to. That's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's uh, Say no stories. more. Yeah. I, want to, I want to share... Um, about disasters. I want to hear, share a little bit about one of my most frequently asked questions. Is it safe? Because I think that that's something, particularly when we look at the COVID epidemic, uh, we look at people's lives, people feel like they're in this cushion of safety, but it's an illusional thing. Mm-hmm. It's not true. And I like to say, because I feel that if you say, well, if you're in the center of God's will, that's the safest place to be. Well, to me, not necessarily physical safety mm. is in that package. Right. I feel that, the, that safety is not a matter of the absence of, of um, danger. danger, but being in the center of God's will. Yeah. So that my safety of my soul, of my spirit, yeah, spiritual is safety. in him. Yeah. And so... In terms of disaster relief, you know, da- disasters come unexpected, unannounced, and unwanted, and they wreak devastation in people's lives. And yet, that is a time when people are most vulnerable and easily um, ready to hear of a loving Savior that is there for them mm-hmm. in that moment of need and desperation. It gives them a hope, a hope beyond this world. But safety is something that people grab hold of. And I think in terms of disasters, it's amazing because think about the people that walked into the Twin Towers that morning. Hmm. They felt they were safe. Hmm. People who were basking on the beach before the tsunami hit, did they not feel they were safe? Laying on a couch watching telly when the earthquake hit in Haiti. All these people... All these disasters where I've uh, worked, people thought they were safe. Yeah. And so I feel like it's so important that we realize that this is something, it's an illusion, and that not until someone comes to terms with what, what is the purpose of our life here and who, has, who truly has the control of it. And that we lose that fear of death because that's really what people are operating under is a fear Mm -hmm. of death. But Jesus came to break that, to break that power of death, as it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, and to overcome that so that we no longer had to live in that fear. And once we do that, we can go anywhere. Mm -hmm. We can go into the fire, so to speak. And when doing so, Jesus can show himself, just like he did in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw that person. When we go into the fire, when I go into these disasters, people cannot believe that we would leave a so-called safe environment to go into this area of crisis turmoil 
in danger. Yeah. But Jesus is there. And like you said, perhaps part of that incarnate power, which I had never thought of, it's fascinating. And isn't that like Galatians 2? I'm crucified with Christ. Exactly. It's, I don't live anymore. It's him living in me. What, what a freedom that gives. Right. That's amazing. If we're dead, then we're not going to feel that yeah. fear. We're not going to feel. I bet, you know, naturally we are yeah, alive. Yeah, yeah. We have emotions. Yeah. But um, once again, just being in touch with our maker, he has a purpose for us all. And it's a beautiful purpose. In fact, he will not uh, leave us. His arm is not too short to hold on to us. I tell people back there in the 90s when I decided to leave my job and my home, I really did look, kind of jump off a cliff. <laughs> But he was there to catch me, and he's guided me throughout my life. First, first question, most frequently asked, is how do you support yourself? Well, I don't. God has provided, but he doesn't just provide for me. I live totally by faith. He has provided for ministries, for properties, for vehicles, for education, for families, for children. He has just allowed me to be a vessel a channel to bless others. I don't support myself. He supports me. We're out of time, but wow, that's beautiful. You know, Chris, you said everything. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why the reason—that's one of the reasons we do women worth knowing, because we want people to know that God can work and do incredibly, exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we want to thank you again for being on yeah. Women Worth Knowing, and this is. Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut and Chris Rep saying thank you for joining us today. Hope you Thanks. were as edified as we were. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnut. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.